Welcome to the Real Self University podcast. I'm Eva Shea, your host and director of practice development at Real Self. April Linden is my guest for today's episode, and she's a 20-plus year practice consulting veteran with a data-driven take on the ideal patient experience. Teaching from this experience is one of April's great passions, and you can find her speaking at national meetings when she's not at her home base in San Diego, which is where I talked with her this fall. My guest today is April Linden. April and I work together at Real Patient Ratings and Strategic Edge Partners, and so we've known each other for a really long time and have had tons of synergy over the years around how to market a practice and then how to actually turn data into actionable practice change so that your practice can grow. So I was really interested to bring her in and talk to her about one of the things she's passionate about, which is the patient experience specifically around customer service. So April, tell us a little bit about yourself and why customer service is such a passion of yours. Thank you, Eva. I'm so excited to participate in the podcast today. And for those of you that may or may not have heard me speak over the last few years, Eva is the creator of my unofficial name, the Data Ninja Warrior, that I frequently introduce (laughs) myself as when I go on stage and I'm talking about patient experience, customer experience, and why everything that you do starts and ends with data. And I've been in the industry for 20 plus years, and there's a lot of things that have stayed the same, which is you have to have great results, you have to have good people, and you have to figure out how to get your pieces to fit together. And in working with practices, I'm always looking for a new and exciting way to get buy-in from the top to the bottom. And so probably about almost 20 years ago, I had the opportunity to work with an up-and-coming surgeon in California who was, as I indicated, way ahead of his time in the way that he thought, the way he ran his practice. And I've been fortunate through the last 20 years to have re-engaged with him on about three or four different occasions from when he was a young practice, solo practitioner with about four staff to a five-location conglomerate with about 60 staff members and multiple business models. So in working with his providers and his coordinators, I was looking for a way to get the buy-in and get them to be excited about what they were doing and how they did it. And so I started to do some research into what was happening in the hospitality industry and specifically at the Ritz-Carlton in the Marriott because they're very resistant to the economy and to economics, to what's happening in your world. They create such an amazing experience that consumers flock to them year in and year out. And I was trying to figure out what can we learn from what they're doing at the Ritz-Carlton. And I started to do some research about the Ritz-Carlton onboarding process and their 12 There are 12 steps of service, and I realized in looking at what they were teaching their employees was very similar to what I was teaching practices across the country, that customer service and experience isn't a one-hour training, it's a commitment from the top to the bottom. And it is everybody understanding how important that patient is, how important the little touches are, and the five-star service, and the extras such as being friendly 
and caring and believing in what it is that you do and what it is your provider does. And it's that ability, that innate ability to transfer that belief to the patient in front of you on the phone and post-op. And so I created this course initially for this practice that I worked with as a way to get them to understand the multiple touches, the 12, the 12 service standards and how each person in that practice Live the, lives on a day-to-day basis, those. And I've had incredible results as I've given this course over the last five years. So you're saying that that kind of mentality can be trained in a practice to someone who maybe doesn't have it? Is it possible? It is absolutely possible. And the way that you train that into a practice or a staff member is it all everything that we do in our practices starts at the top and it starts with great leadership that have a vision, that not only have a vision in their mind, but have a documented plan on where it is they want to go, how they're going to get there, and what are the points along the way that are going to make that dream a reality. And when the leadership believes in it, they make a commitment to training their staff to holding their staff accountable in some of the same ways that they do with the Ritz. One of the most amazing things that I recently learned from the Ritz is that every single day they have, I believe it's called the stand down meeting. When you start your shift, you have to be at the stand down meeting where they go through the statistics. They review the customers that are coming in that day. They talk about some of the exciting reviews that came in for the company and they talk about potential problems and together they collaborate on how they're gonna overcome that. And it was like an aha moment because even in the late 90s, I was talking about these meetings, these touch-based meetings. I was telling physicians and staff that if you have a goal, you can't just keep the goal and expect it's going to happen. You have to commit to it on a daily, a weekly, a monthly basis in front of in front of everybody's eyes. And with that, you're able to achieve greatness. And back to your question, yes. So if you have somebody that's maybe not on board, by putting these processes in place, the simple steps of this touch-based meeting of re-engaging on the goals, on the satisfaction stories, on the aha moment. The staff is either forced to get on board or realize that they don't believe in the dream and naturally they get with the program or they move on. This is really similar to what happens in tech. And I know from you and I working together, we never had these kinds of meetings before. But at Real Self, we have a weekly company stand-up for the whole company, and the same three numbers are reported on every week and the results that roll up to those numbers. So I think on a small scale, you're saying every day or every week there's a stand-up. It doesn't take long. It's probably time-boxed so that it doesn't get out of control, and there's strict rules around it. And I think what's important about that daily stand-up is it doesn't mean one person is being managed it's a team, right? Absolutely. So how does how does teamwork and team building also play into this this kind of practice management strategy? So in the patient relationship process, having come from the data background and as we know and working with our previous company, the data really enables you to make decisions on what's important. And through this 
data you and I both uncovered what is important to patients and how it's not just the physician, it's not just the receptionist, it's not the coordinator, it's every single person on the team playing a part. So when we get together in these touch-based meetings, what we find is the receptionist is able to talk about a part of the meeting. So she's responsible for, let's say, a thought for the day. The coordinator comes to the table and she's talking about the consultations that are coming in, the patients, the story behind the story. The physician is possibly sharing some of the concerns that he's been hearing from the patient. And we might get the esthetician or the PA to talk about, well, I've got 15 patients coming in and can you please make sure that we have all of their rewards available so that we are building not just today's practice, but we're building what we're going to look like in 90 days in six months. And it's through that collaboration and the sharing that everybody wins. The physician wins, the patient wins, and it's easy. We go home and we feel like we made a difference. So in that practice you've been working with for 20 years, is this something they do? They do it consistently on a daily basis. They have an agenda. I have an agenda that I put into place and they keep the core values in the forefront of everybody's mind. This, you know, I tell the story at meetings about this physician back in the early 2000s. He had a war room. He didn't have a lunchroom. He had a lunchroom that was papered wall to wall with what the sales process looked like, who did what at every step along the way. Today, It looks a lot more refined. He's got his core values on the wall of his office in every meeting they go through. There's about 20 core values. And that's how you keep everybody in tune with why are we here? We're not just here for a paycheck. We're here to make a difference. And so they go through the core values and then they talk about, as I said, the patient satisfaction thoughts and the rest of it. So how do you keep a process like this from taking too much time? So... In the daily schedule, you allow for the meeting to take no more than 15 minutes. So you have the all staff members are meeting every day for 15 minutes before you start the day. In a separate meeting, there's a management meeting that happens with the supervisors and talking about the bigger issues of the practice on how we're going to achieve our goals. And in that meeting, once again, there's an agenda, there's a timer, and everybody sticks sticks to the time. When your time's up, your time's up, and it's tabled to the next meeting. After the meeting, once again, the key to any process is document, 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 so you know who's accountable. You can't meet just to meet because it's a waste of your valuable resources. Mm -hmm. I think it also means the doctor has to be on time, right? Absolutely. I'm thinking of one office where he's usually an hour late every day. It really causes a lot of trouble for the staff because they're waiting for everything to start and they have no idea when it's actually going to start. And so in practices like that, the day must go on and the the meeting happens Regardless of the physician participation, what ends up happening is before that doctor goes into any room, there's a 20-second overview of who they are, why they're there, the likelihood that they're going to schedule. And most importantly, and this is this is how you're building your practice for the future, is you're looking at, if you've got a really good practice management system, you're looking at any promotions that you've sent out, you're looking to see if this person has clicked on the promotion so that the physician can actually engage the patient in a conversation on something beyond why they're there. 
And this is why an integrated practice is so successful because they use all these data points. Tell us more about what you mean. What is an integrated practice? An integrated practice is a practice that all of their tools work together. So they have a website, they have a practice management system, they have photo imaging, digital imaging, they may have other tools like TouchMD, and they all are interfacing together. So within within that plan, like we talked about the war realm, when you're identifying what your steps are, everybody knows how we use our patient education tool, how we pre-register patients, how we manage their experience before they get in. We look at the data. Our practice management system has email marketing incorporated into it so that every single communication that's happening with the patient is in one spot. Anybody can look at that information. They can look at the notes. They can look at the email marketing, the text. They have a value associated with that patient. They have loyalty rewards. We know what kind of memberships. We've got all of their other rewards programs front and center. So when the patient's coming in, we're not asking the patient to do homework. We're prepared. We're going to provide that experience that's beyond the, you came in for Botox. No, we want to come in and help you realize your dream of look younger, feel younger. Aha. And so everybody understands the software pieces. They are accountable for valid data entry. And as a management team, They look at the data and they not only celebrate the wins, but they are constructive in identifying the opportunities in coaching and retraining on how to get a 5 to even a 25% growth, not on new opportunities, but learning how to work smarter and not harder. That's been my mantra, smarter, not harder. I love it. Don't be busy, be productive. So let's let's go backwards a little bit. You're talking about what happens in the office so that that patient comes in and has an amazing experience, but let's talk about how they get to the office in the first place and how the Ritz-Carlton standards apply to getting them into the office. Have you thought about that? Absolutely. So part of the patient relationship life cycle and the decisions they make, it's a four-step process. So the four-step process starts with, am I going to make an appointment? And that responsibility of driving patients to the practice, thank goodness the practice doesn't have to do everything. They have to rely on their external marketing dollars to drive the patients through an engaging website, through contact us forms, through price transparency, through ratings and reviews, all the, all the aspects that we know in our data are gonna drive patients. So once that phone rings or the form comes in, the biggest difference in the five-star experience is the difference between a transactional engagement and a relationship-driven call. So in the practices that don't understand the five-star experience and they don't understand the relationship, when the phone rings, you could look around the office and you could see that, oh God, another phone call versus the patient coordinators and the staff that see the vision and the dream when the phone rings, they don't verbally say, wow, the phone's ringing, but they pick up the phone and they understand the importance of first impressions and they pick up the phone. Good morning. Thank you for calling XYZ Surgery Center. This is April. How can I help you? And the very beginning of the call as the patient saying, I want to know how much Botox is, 
They understand that we're going to get to the Botox question, but first, we need to make them feel important. So whom do I have the pleasure of speaking with? And we take that opportunity at the beginning to say, you are important to me. You're not a number, and I want to make you feel important by getting your name. And we engage a little bit. Oh, I'm so happy you're calling our practice, Eva. You've called the best place for Botox. And I know you're interested in finding out about the cost. Can you tell me a little bit, just in case we get disconnected, a phone number so I can get back in touch with you? Because we realize... We realize behind the scenes that not everybody's going to make an appointment. So we're engaging. We're going to answer some of your questions, but we're going to ask you some questions. We're going to promote our practice. We're going to talk about Dr. Wonderful. Did you know he's the Michelangelo of facial fillers? You are going to look and feel great. He's my my injector. And I tell you, I'm 50, but everybody tells me I look like I'm about 30. Have you read our ratings and reviews? They're on our website, and we've got over 500 ratings and reviews from our highly satisfied patients. Oh, I haven't. Interesting. You should also like our Facebook and our social media because not only do we have videos, but we have promotions. We've got engaging stories, and patients are always telling us how it's part of their daily routine is to go check out what Dr. Wonderful's doing. I like how you built the social proof in there. That's really smart. Well, it's all in the data. Mm-hmm. So... Am I making the appointment? Clearly, if they're talking to you, they're going to make the appointment. What, what happens next? So what happens next? That's decision one. Am I going to make an appointment? Data-driven practices know that not everybody shows up. So prior to that appointment, we need to make sure that the messaging that we are providing to our patients reinforces the brand that they found when they found you online. So it's one thing to have this amazing interactive website that's got sound and video and beautiful colors and to send them a boring email or a boring text. You need to have an engaging introduction. Some of our practices have a video introduction that goes out to the patient prior to coming into the office. And once again, we know, one data-driven guru over here, that videos are getting clicked on more so than just your regular email. So the video welcomes the patient to the practice. It has some links to information related to their appointment. We're also going to call the patient. We're going to text the patient prior to the appointment to make sure that they are coming in. Our confirmation calls are beyond the, hi, it's April. We just want to remind you that you've got an appointment on Thursday. See you then. It's, we're so excited to see you. Did you receive the information I promised you I'd send? Did you have a chance to watch that video? Isn't he amazing? Wow, my mom, every time she comes in, is just blown away by his down-to-earth personality. And the before and afters, you did take a peek at the before and afters. Lastly, we want to make sure that you have allowed enough time during the consultation. It's going to be 60 to 90 minutes. All of your questions are going to get answered, and then we're going to put together a personalized treatment plan for you. Are you excited for the visit? I can't wait to meet you. I'm excited. I'm excited. When you are in that part of the process where you're confirming appointments... Can you go a little bit sideways into what happens when you can't reach that patient and should we be proactively canceling people who don't confirm their appointments? And what are your thoughts around preventing no-shows in that 
sort of same vein of the Ritz-Carlton service standards? So I recommend that we don't cancel the appointment, that we have gone ahead and probably touched that patient between the email that has gone out confirming the appointment through a minimum of probably two texts that have gone out. They got a text immediately confirming the conversation, saying that we're going to see you. They got a text reminder at 48 hours in advance. They got the engaging call 48 hours in advance. And typically, if we haven't heard back from the patient, we're going to call them again 24 hours in advance. So we've given the patient multiple opportunities. No-shows are a reality. And in busy practices, fortunately or unfortunately, sometimes the no-show can be a little bit of a blessing because it gives the practice the opportunity to possibly get caught up. That being said, just because a patient no-shows a practice doesn't necessarily mean that they are not coming to you. It just means they're not showing up today. And because we've taken the opportunity and we have the email, we have the phone number, we are keeping in touch with them over time. They are getting our promotions. They're getting our text blasts. They're finding out about our flash sales. And having looked at the data behind the scenes, I have been able to go in and see that some of these patients that no-showed two and three years ago, aha, they just weren't ready then. And they're coming back and spending three and five and $7,000. It's, it's amazing if you have a process and you have data that you can go back and pinpoint what's working and what's not working and add steps to your process. That's really interesting. And do you know how often they no-show in a practice where they actually do follow all the steps to remind them that many times? I would expect it's pretty rare. So the well-run practices still have about a 15% no-show rate. It's, it's just human nature. You're, you're not going to get 100% of the people to do what it is that you want them to do. And so you're, you're still going to have that. Some practices put into place a $50 deposit that cuts down on that, but people still no-show. And it, there's so many things that you could be doing in that 15 to 30-minute time spot to enable you to capture more patients. You could take that 15 to 30 minutes and you could go write a blog. You could go look through your before and after pictures and figure out if you have a featured patient. You could uh, make a phone call to one of your best referrals just to let them know you were thinking about them. You could go online and comment on something on Real Self mm-hmm. that's going to help your practice. Instead of going, what, another no-show? It's an opportunity to re-engage with somebody else and complete some other valuable task on your to-do list that's going to help your practice. Okay, so we've gone through two of the stages. Am I making the appointment? Am I keeping the appointment? What comes next? Decision three. So when the staff has done the engagement process correctly, by the time the patient shows up in the office, it's really not a question of am I going to schedule It really comes down to, am I going to schedule with you? Because I know in advance what it's going to cost. I know what your technique is. I know that you have availability. I know how much it's going to cost. I know how I'm going to afford it. I've looked at your before and afters. So on the surface, because I, as a patient, have my own checklist, 
I've read your reviews, so I know other people think that you are, in fact, the Michelangelo. They're all validating what Susie Q at the front desk said. So when they show up, it's really a question, um, am I going to schedule with you? And the way that the well-run practices approach the day, they had their touch-based meeting, patient walks through the door, and the staff member actually looks excited for that patient to arrive. They stand up, they have a smile on their face, they know it's 10 o'clock, they know it's Mrs. Smith, and they're smiling. Hi, Mrs. Smith, I'm so excited to see you. Can I, can I get you some coffee, some water? Do you need anything? Dr. Smith is running just on time. Let me go ahead and collect your paperwork, or if you need to fill it out, you're going to fill it out. Susie Q, the receptionist, is also, she's aware. Once again, she let the patient know she's setting expectations from the get-go on what's going to happen. So the coordinator comes out. The coordinator walks the patient back to the room, and she's going to do the easiest step in the process that most people don't even know is important, which is the overview of what to expect today. The roadmap. The roadmap. We all enjoy reading or listening to our audios or however we get our information. And every single book has a table of contents telling you what to expect. Why wouldn't you do that for a patient? It could be their first time or their 50th. Let them know what to expect today, who they're going to meet, how long it's going to take, when are they going to find out exactly how much it costs, and when are we going to get me on the books so that we're setting the expectations and we're letting them know when they can find out about the cost so they're not asking inappropriate questions to inappropriate people. We're doing a little more credentialing of the physician. You're absolutely just going to love your time with him. I know I talked to you a lot about him over the phone, but you're going to find he's even better in person than I talked to you about. Let's do a little rundown on your medical history. The doctor's going to come in. The doctor's not going to get, or the provider, if we're talking about a non-surgical type of visit, we're not going to get down to business. We're going to do that bonding because you're a human. And we know. And we know that- The key driver of scheduling (laughs) is that you made me feel comfortable and safe. Right. Yeah. Right. So it, it takes you, what, 25 seconds, 50 seconds- to make that connection, to use the information they provided to say, oh, you found us on the website. Did you have a chance to check out some of my videos? Did you look at this? Did you do some of this stuff? You know, patients are always telling me how informative our website is. And I just, can I get your opinion? Is there anything that we didn't have? It's showing that patient, I really do value you. So the physicians in, the provider is in with the patient doing their exam, going through, once again, what we both know is, although to most offices that medical history form might be a little bit of a time filler, the patient doesn't want to feel like they just filled it out and nobody cares about it. It was surprising to me, and I know it was surprising to you, when that showed up consistently over five years as a top driver to whether or not patients are scheduling, is... Was that information reviewed with with me? Did the physician say medically, you're a good candidate for this procedure? Mm-hmm. And when that happens, there is a correlation between, am I going to schedule? Is it a top driver? No, but it was one of the top nine out of 50 questions that we were asking. This stuff counts. So we, we go through the rest of the consultation with the physician. 
we're going to go into the coordinator's office and now we're going to we're going to go through before and afters although they might have looked at some of them online we're now going to tell a story and we're going to share stories of patients now that we've seen what Susie Q looks like. We're gonna share some patients that are similar to her in their age and in their goals and show them. So here's a patient that is a mom of two, a mom of three, that has invested just a little bit over time in her maintenance. But as you can see, after having two to three or four different services, she's looking refreshed, she's looking younger, her face is glowing. What are your thoughts about the picture? What do you think? How satisfied are you with the results? Let's take a look at another photo of another patient that was in the office. Once again, like you, she's got these similar characteristics and it's an engaging process. It's not a script of we have five pictures and that's all we show. It's so embarrassing to me when I've sat in on consults with a female who's interested in cool sculpting and we're showing the male pictures. I mean, come on, are you serious? Um, that's not me. No. That's not her. And you're showing me what's even crazier is when you've got skinny Minnie who's in to have cool, cool sculpting and you're showing somebody that is much larger than her. I can't relate. You lost me at picture one. So then we talk about the fees and because we understand the why we're relating everything we're doing back to why she's here. You've always put everybody else before your own needs. And now you're making a commitment to yourself and how you feel and how you look. And so we've got a plan and you've told us what your priorities are. Your first priority is your forehead and the lines. And then your next priority is your upper face. And then lastly, you've talked to us a little bit about this. So I've come up with a treatment plan over the next 12 months. She might've come in and initially said it was just the Botox or it could have been the Botox and the fillers, but we have expanded that transaction to a relationship. We're gonna get her today and we're gonna get her back because we've agreed and we've listened and we've asked the right questions and we've gotten her permission to go beyond just what we see over here. So we give her the fees, we have a a pause to see what's going to happen. And then we follow it up. This is once again, another step that most coordinators miss out on. So tell me about the fee quote. How does this meet your expectations? Some patients give a, a sigh. Some patients say nothing, but when they're front and center, this is the opportunity to make sure are we within the range or find out what sort of objections do you have about moving forward? What was your budget? Are you seeing other physicians for consultations? Where are we at in the process? And finding out what is holding them back because once they leave, you don't have the benefit of the body language to pick up where we're at. I'm also thinking about how if you prepare that person for the price ahead of time so they're not surprised by the range, that their likelihood to schedule goes way up when they reach this moment. And that if it's less than they expect, that likelihood goes up even more. Right. So that price education has to go way earlier in the process. This is not the first time they're hearing about how much this might cost or what the range is. Correct. We did 
We did review that on the phone and we have some sort of idea on that. And you are correct that at this point, they're finding out that this is what we told them. It's within the range. And we're, we're talking about the financing that they got pre-approved on, or if they didn't take the opportunity, we're re-engaging on this step in the process. Now, most practices are gonna schedule a minimum of 25% of those patients. And we all go into the day realizing that we're going to schedule 25% of the patients. We don't go into the day with the expectation that 100% of the people are scheduling. We go into the day with realistic expectations of who, who are our 25% that are gonna schedule. So when the patient is looking a little uncomfortable or they're not making a decision, we don't give them a hard time. We go ahead and give them permission seems like you need to go home and think about it and talk to your significant other, your decision maker about this. And what I have found is that once you get home, you're going to realize that you have additional questions or concerns. So next week, what's a good day for me to follow up with you Wednesday or Thursday? We're once again, we're setting expectations that we are going to follow up because we want to make sure that all of her or his questions are answered. What I like about it is you're also making them feel safe and not putting more pressure on them. Right. And that's, for most practices, the, the brand that they want does not include a lot of pressure or, you know, a heavy-handed approach. Right. Okay. So finally, they have to follow through with the appointment. I, I predicted that that was number four. Yes. I might have heard these before. <laughs> you might have heard these before. So <laughs> correct. So. The last step is, am I actually going to complete the procedure or treatment? And once again, it's not a, it's not 100%. You are going to have people that cancel or reschedule. However, with the documented plan, you're going to be able to capture them at some point in the future and re-engage them potentially on some other service. But that patient that came in and had the treatment or procedure because they had this not only amazing results and they were cared for by everybody beyond the physician. We were touching base with them after the day after they had their appointment. We had them come back in for pictures. We were calling them. We were reminding them about how long the results were going to last. We were proactive in rebooking the appointment so that we got them back in. They weren't wandering into the wilderness to never be seen again. We were asking them for feedback. It's part of our process. How did we meet your needs? Because we're continually looking to make sure that we exceed, not meet our patient's experience. And as a team, not in our daily meetings, but in our monthly or quarterly, we're going back and we're looking at these patient satisfaction surveys and sharing the data and using that so that we can all learn and all grow. Of course. Thank you for walking us through all of that. There's one question that we ask every guest on this podcast, which is, what is your superpower? My superpower is my love for data. I completely get a high out of finding a problem and diving into the data to figure out how do we solve this problem? Is the problem re-engagement for existing patients in the Botox world? Is the problem that our promotions or our specials aren't getting enough buyers? Is our problem that we've lost people on the phone? Where's the problem? 
using the data? And then how do we go in and we fix it? And how do we hold everybody accountable to how important they are in the process? And I just recently went in and looked at re-engagement on bookings. So I looked at two different practices on the Botox fillers. And I wanted to see for everything that we've talked about, how effective was that office at rebooking patients before they left the office? So we went in and we looked at over the course of, I think it was a month, they had X number of patients and how many actually rebooked. And so we were able to find out that on the day of the appointment, 30% of them were actually rebooking their next appointment. And we're not talking about patients that bought packages. We're talking about the person that came in and had their single treatment. And in another data dump, I wanted to go back and see, so how effective are these re-engagement programs? So we're sending them these two emails, telling them what to expect on the results, and then telling them it's time to come back in, it's time to get back in. And what I was finding once again in the same practice is 30% that received, 30% that were receiving these notifications were following through and booking something, which is pretty darn amazing. Because once again, in another data dive, I'm looking at how effective the normal e-blast are. And on average, they're getting about 18 to 25% to open it. So if you think about your marketing to new people, all of the time, and only 18 to 25% are opening it, but you have your loyalists, your, your raving fans, they respond to that on average 5% higher. I mean, why wouldn't you do this? It doesn't take a genius to put this stuff into place. It just takes a vision, a strategy, and people that are aligned to the goal. That's a six-figure tip right there, April. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to join you today. We appreciate all your wisdom. Thank you for letting me share. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Real Self University podcast. The mission of Real Self is to create a world where every investment in modern beauty is worth it. And the mission of Real Self University is to help aesthetic professionals do just that. The mission of this podcast is to uncover stories and data from our industry's most interesting and successful personalities. If you'd like more information about becoming Real Self Verified, go to realself.com slash network and enter referral code podcast to receive preferred rates. I'm your host and producer, Eva Shea. Our post-production is by Daniel Cruiser. If you'd like to be a guest on the Real Self University podcast, have feedback or questions, email me at university at realself.com. Support us and help us keep this effort going by subscribing to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All of our learning and practice development resources are available on demand at university.realself.com.